Hi, I'm Julia. And I'm Sam. And you're listening to the 29-Hour Podcast. This week, we talk to writer and actor Jeff Talbot. Here he is. I listen to the podcast, and I, I was a radio operator in high school, so oh. I've been before my... I, I had a first-class radio operator's license. That was my high school job, was being a DJ at the local radio station. That is so fun. Whoa. Yes. Was that, a, like, a typical high school job? No. Yeah. We had a little country western... Well, it's country western now. Well, it's not there anymore. But um, it was a radio station that did adult contemporary programming and, and veered toward country western, because I'm from Nebraska... Adult contemporary, that almost sounds like porn, but I assume it that does. means something else. But I don't even know if it's a term anymore. It meant, it meant like soft rock or soft okay. pop, like real middle of the road. Olivia Newton-John, okay. you know, adult contemporary. It, it, it was a chart on Billboard. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I know this is because for my last year of high school, I was the music programmer at this radio station, and my job was to look at the adult contemporary uh, top 100 mm-hmm. and program the songs <gasps> and I almost lost my job because uh, the the number one song on the adult contemporary chart for like a month was and I'm telling you I'm not going from Dreamgirls mm-hmm. so I programmed it and that did not go over well in my small little n- very white town in western Nebraska really? and I guess I think they got calls and I got called into the manager's office he was like what is that? And I was like, it's the, no- first of all, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it's the number one song on the adult contemporary compar- chart. She said, we don't, we don't, we don't play that kind of music here. Whoa. And if you do that again, you'll lose your job. Oh my and I was like, that, I wasn't, you know, I was 17 in Western Nebraska and it was not 2018. So I didn't know enough to say, well, that seems kind of racist to me, but. Yeah. Did you have a sense that you were doing it, that you were doing something no. like. No. Rebellious. First of all, because it was amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean. That song and that performance is so indelible, and it was a it was a legitimate hit, mm-hmm. yeah, on the Billboard charts, but not in Nebraska, wow. and probably still wouldn't be in Nebraska. Oh, I know. Oh dear. Not to you know, but it's 2018, and some things haven't changed. Uh. So that's why I'm not in Nebraska anymore. <laughs> <Hooray>. <laughs> that's a cool high school job. It was a very cool high school job. I got up. Every Monday, my I had the 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift every Monday morning. So I would get up at 5 and go start. The, we, the radio station started at 6 a.m. And I was everybody's voice, not going to work, at, oh. but going to the fields wow. in Nebraska for two hours every Monday morning for the whole last year of my high school. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Crazy weird job. Has, like, <laughs> I'm curious, like, <laughs> if you feel like that's, like, influenced your, your like, real career in any way. The radio job? Yeah. Or like, I don't know. I mean, maybe the answer is like, no. <laughs> I mean, I think wherever you grow up influences yeah. your career and your approach to your art. Yeah. I mean, I think where I come from, I just was there last week. So where I come from definitely influenced who I am as an artist. But that job did not influence okay. what I do okay. as an artist in any okay. way. Although it was the closest thing in that town to a job that at least fed into an interest level of mine like not working mm-hmm. at the A&W or yeah. the Pizza Hut which were the only two restaurants in town you know uh, it, it it was a job that at least allowed me to interact with a medium that was reaching out to people yeah. which is ultimately what our job is yeah so well actually so uh, as far as I can tell and correct me if I'm wrong like you're wrong writing musicals is sort of like a newer thing for yes you. so uh 
w- but like was like working at the radio programming and I am telling you like was that always a part of your life or like like how did you how did you end up writing musicals <laughs> like you know what I mean yeah I think that um I'll tell the shortest version of this story because I've told it several times in my life but um I think had I been brave I would have been a writer from the beginning uh-huh. <laughs> that was that was my that was the thing I most wanted to do. I wrote a novel when I was eight years old about a kid who bumped his head and got psychic powers. Whoa. Ooh, I also, um, when I was nine, I think, all of fifth grade, I was like, I'm writing a novel. Yep. It was called The Sparkler Story, and it was about a group of girls who were in a group called The Sparklers, which I think just meant they were friends. Yes. But I was deeply invested like, as oh, an yeah. identity of, I'm writing this. That's exactly right. And then I went to college to major in theater but acting yeah because that was because writing wasn't a job that i thought was a job right you can't that's not going to help you and i took a playwriting class and my memory of the playwriting class is different than the reality because i just was cleaning out my mother's basement six months ago and found two of my first plays my memory of that class is the professor told me i wasn't good but that isn't what happened because i found these two plays and i was like oh he told me i was good but what he said was, Your, you, what you write is different than what other pi- people write. And I think that, that might find a hard time making it in the world. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But what I heard was, don't do that. Mm. And I already realized that being an actor was a crazy thing to try to do for a profession. <laughs> there are so many fewer jobs for writers. And I got instantly scared and just became an actor, Uh which has been very successful for me and was very successful for a long time. But I quietly always in the back of my head wanted to be a writer. And when I went to grad school, um, there was a student run at the Yale School of Drama. There was a student run cabaret that the faculty has nothing to do with. And it's completely student um, oh, uh, he was just uh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, he was just talking about because he was the artistic director. That's yeah, right, yeah. your last guest. And um, the cabaret is completely student-run, student-programmed. Faculty does not interfere. They go to see everything, but it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with your study because uh-huh. it operates after 11 p.m. at night. All rehearsals are after 11 p.m. All shows are after 11 Whoa. p.m. And they programmed two of my plays while I was there because there was this outlet, and I was like, I'm going to write a play. And they programmed it. And my next year, they asked me to write a play, and I wrote another play. So when I got to New York, I was quietly kind of writing in the background, and I wrote, I wrote a play with a friend of mine. I wrote a play by myself, and then I wrote the submission, and the submission had this, you know, crazy Cinderella thing happen to it, where it, where it landed on top of a pile at a good theater. It won an award. It got produced, and suddenly, instant playwright, mm. and and I always wanted to also write musicals. But the catch to that is my husband is a lyricist and librettist and also a playwright. But when we first both started writing, he wrote only musicals and I was writing plays. And we did very different things. And then through the course of the last seven or eight years, as he's had success as a playwright and I've started to have success as a musical theater writer, we now do all of the same things out of our apartment. Um, Is there a sense of competition there? (laughs) Um, there isn't, but it also is inevitably kind of odd, you know, and, and luckily we had, by the time we, by the time our, our creative lives started going on parallel tracks, we had 15 years of Mm -hmm. relationship behind us. Mm -hmm. So plenty of tools to be open and talk to each other. Like, Hey, I'm feeling weird about this. Hey, I'm not feeling weird about this. Um, 
and we're very, very good at communicating with each other for the most part, except for the occasional Thursday. So, <laughs> um, so we're not really com- we're not competitive with each other. Not even really. We're not competitive with each other. But it is interesting and something that I've had to like grapple with or explore. I I very distinctly tried not to ever date anybody who does the same thing I do. Huh. Um, for that very reason, because I was afraid I would be competitive, and. And Ken doesn't. I mean, Ken, Ken will say he doesn't care, and I'm, uh, that's what he says. I'm sure that's true, but I thought I would, and I, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of what he does. What we do is so very different from each other. That seems like a more important criteria. Yeah. I don't know if I could my if I could date someone who did what I did, and I wasn't a big fan of theirs. Well, that's that another. Isn't that a whole other thing though? Like <laughs> yeah. even if you are not doing the same thing, you kind of want to love whatever your partner does. Yeah. yeah. You know that I mean that's that's always like a crazy litmus test early on in a relationship, especially between creative people. If you if you're dating someone, you go to see the thing they do, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be awkward. Yeah. yeah. And luckily, that's never been true. I'm a huge fan of what Ken does, and in fact, it, it he is he is such a gifted lyricist and librettist. I was very intimidated by his talent when I started to do it, because when I met Will Van Dyke, my writing partner. I thought Will wrote music and lyrics all by himself. I reached mm-hmm. out to him because I heard some of his stuff, and I was like, hey, you seem awesome. I want to try writing a musical. We had lunch, and and in the course of the lunch, I was like, here's an idea I that I would like to write. And he was like, oh, that's great. Let's try to write it. And I said, great. So um, I'll write a scene, and you'll write a song. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't write the lyrics all by myself. I write them with whoever I'm working with. And I said, I'm not a lyricist. Mm-hmm. And he literally looked right at me, and he said, no. Oh, I bet you are. Wow. He didn't know me, but he he said, I bet you are. And so that started our relationship writing together. But it took a while. We've been writing together about five years now. It took a while for me to start to feel like I was awesome at it. Mm-hmm. But we're like over 100 songs in now, and I feel like I'm sometimes awesome at it. <laughs> and we do it together, too. So it's, you know, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And and I I now, like, understand how to use my rhyming dictionary understand how the lyrics can bolster what i'm trying to do as a playwright how they how they help each other dramatically and i also have big support at home from ken who is a is a super strong and honest critic and is the first one to say that that uh that doesn't completely do what you wanted to do there that rhyme is that rhyme is not your friend it's something that he picked up in bmi that he'll say every once in a while um. i'm so impressed at that's you and will's origin story because i feel like i've been on a couple of those like Someone reach out to the other person being like, I don't really know you. I'm looking to write something. Do you want to have lunch and do something? And almost all of those haven't gone anywhere. And I always have this weird feeling of like, I don't know if I just failed a job interview or just like, or it was a bad date or. Oh, I was sure that it was not going to. I was, I was sure. I had just been kind of like by email blind set up with somebody else who had told our common friend, oh, that sounds great. Have him write me and then never returned my email. But it really hurt my feelings. Like, I was like, oh, how crushing. Yeah. And, and like, a, mu- a month went by. I was like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to do that. And every day I try to do something creative, whether it has to do with acting or usually writing, because that's the bulk of my creative output is writing, especially the creative output put that you can control. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting at my computer, and I remember Ken walked through the living room. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm writing to this guy, Will Van Dyke, because... I want to try to meet somebody to write musicals, and that that last person didn't answer my email, but maybe this one will. And <laughs> kid patted me on the shoulder. He said, "Oh, honey, 
he's never going to answer your email. Oh, because he was trying to protect me. He yeah. was he was like, I don't want your I don't want your feelings to be hurt again. And Will wrote back like 10 minutes later. And it, I just happened to write to him at a time when he was looking for someone. And and you both spent time with us. We're very similar in temperament. Like mm-hmm. from the minute we sat down, I was like, oh, I, <laughs> OK. And then we just happened to be. And continue to happen to be very temperamentally matched in terms of what our interests are and what we want to write. And the places where we are different from each other, I think, really inform our writing in an interesting way. Our, the difference in our age, I think, is sometimes really helpful for us. We have very different, we have very similar worldviews, but I have more miles on my odometer. So sometimes I'm a bit warier about the world than he is. So I, I think sometimes I, I can pull him back to earth or he makes me like rise up to the clouds in a mm. way. And there's a tension in some of our writing sometimes between a guy who, who might have a slightly, um, I think sadder is a strong word, but a, a more a, a, a more earthbound view of, <laughs> of, of human relations and somebody who has a much more expansive kind of aspirational worldview and where those two th- things meet is interesting. And sometimes when they fight against each other, like if I write a, a lyric or a beginnings of a lyric that has a tinge of sadness to it and Will comes at it in this kind of poppy, up-tempo way, I find that that can that has a tension in it that I think is an interesting thing about the way we write. Yeah. God, that was interesting. I feel like, if anything, I serve the opposite role in a collaboration. Like, give me any lyric. I can make it sound sort of sad. <laughs> <laughs> or anxious. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> Sam's seen some of my plays. I can make anything seem sad or anxious. <laughs> well, well, in, in, the, in all the best of ways. Well, both of you. Um, I'm curious, like, what is it about like when you were saying like I want to start writing musicals like what is it, it, it does it feel like a totally different beast from writing plays or was it just like something you hadn't done yet or no I, I think I always had this hope that w- once I was far enough along in writing plays because starting to write plays was such a was such a change for me yeah. as an everyday experience because that was the one great gift the submission gave me. The way it got found was I got permission to write every day. Like, you mm-hmm. should do this. And then over the course of getting that permission, gaining a kind of a belief that, hey, maybe the thing that I do has has value or, or a different voice than other things in the world. What if I applied that to musicals, which is a genre I, I've loved as a performer and think I understand but have no formal training in, what if I applied some of those sensibilities to musicals and and I met a guy who was just as interested in trying to apply those to musicals because I, I feel like I approach musicals much the same way that I approach plays, but it isn't always with a great big dance number or a great big, you know, it's not the traditional musical comedy approach. It it it's it, it can it can be a bit more shaded in gray. And it's always an experiment to me when we sit down, when Will and I sit down to plan something out. I'm like, well, I'm wondering if here's something I haven't seen in a musical and here's something I haven't seen in a musical. We may end up doing exactly what you always see in a musical. But but I always find that the that the pushback you can sometimes get from people, oh, well, in a musical, dot, 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 right. is, is terrible advice for any artist, right? Mm-hmm. But I... I, I just plant my feet. And I'm like, yes, in any musical, but not this musical, <laughs> because this is the musical we're writing. And we're saying in this musical that doesn't happen for now. It might end up happening. But here in draft one, two and three, what happens if we take a left footed approach? If we're if we're if we're looking at it from a different angle and find out 
how that might work in a musical. It's why the success of some of the things in the last couple of years, like Bands Visit, Fun Home, um, um, even Evan Hansen, I think, to a, to a large extent, are, are big, exciting warning signs that, that the form doesn't just have to be one thing. Yeah. Not that there haven't been examples of that all along the way, but the success of those three, like the success of Bands Visit is such mm-hmm. a, is such an exciting flag for creative people that, you know, yeah. that it shouldn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it really shouldn't. And it is magnificent. And it's magnificent, at least in my estimation, from minute one to the very end. Mm-hmm. And that was true of Fun Home. And that's, I think that's true of Evan Hansen. And that's not even talking about you know, the the big history lesson on Broadway right now because, mm-hmm. you know, Hamilton does it so, so effortlessly, but these other shows do too. And they've had, they've had success on a similar scale, just yeah. not that kind of once in a generation success. Do you guys think that audiences are changing and getting smarter? Or do you think this has always been the case, but just producers or writers are taking more of these risks? I wonder, I think some I think some some f- section, I was going to say fragment, but that mm-hmm. seems too small. But some section of the audience is getting smarter or gaining a hunger for what is different. But there are always going to be people who want to go to, and you can fill in popular musical yeah. in the blank. You know, that, that audience is always going to be there. But, I'm, but, but commercial success, which is different than success, success <laughs> when those two things interact, intersect in something like Bands Visit, it's... I think it's really helpful for artists like us to recognize that because people are actually buying tickets to see that thing yeah. that that if you presented it to them as an idea, if you watched the movie of the band's visit, if you've mm-hmm. never seen it, it's a spectacular movie. But if you watch that and somebody said, I want to make that a musical, you would rightfully say to them, that's a terrible idea. Right. <laughs> it's, I was just talking with a friend about commercial success versus other forms of success. And she is a clothing designer and she's about to sort of launch her own line of clothing and product and we were talking about how like in like art world like sure commercial success is a big thing but there's also this other axis of like reviews and respect and things like that that we get to have and if you're making clothes like if you don't sell them there's not that other like channel for validation oh, that's, that's like but it's still really interesting oh yeah, and also some of those things we should pay less attention to. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, reviews is a whole thing. Yeah. But, and I don't read them as an actor. And you've talked about them on the podcast, yes. Sam, which yes. which is interesting because I stopped a long time ago. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly don't. There, are, I think there are actors who say I don't read them and then they quietly read them. Right. Mm-hmm. But I honestly don't I mean I mean I mean I've really only ever been reviewed one time when we were doing the show with Julian Gordon, but um. <clears throat> I made every effort not to read them and it was just too the the like <laughs> temptation was too strong. You made every effort but one then. <laughs> right, right. And it, one was all it took. Um and then once I broke the seal and had read one I read them all. Did it <laughs> did you did it get in your way or did it not get it in your way? It didn't because I think um in the past I think I had I think I I did a fringe show and I think that got a review. And um, uh, they didn't like me. And uh, for like for good reason, it's a very, very long story about that one. I, I but disagree. That one, it wasn't a good reason. I There's no good reason That's not right. to like you. <laughs> that one really uh, frustrated me. But this one, I sort of like had this like antsy energy about it. And I was like, is this going to like impact what I'm doing in the show? Is this going to impact how I'm thinking about things? But then I realized 
I was so proud of the work I was doing that like nothing could take that pride away from me. That's good. And so it didn't really affect anything going on on stage. I don't think. No, that's good. I mean, <laughs> the reason I stopped is because I, I found that no matter how much that was true of me philosophically, it was never true in practice. Even the good ones got in my head, and I'd be yeah. like, oh, look at the way he picks up that glass. It's yeah. so interesting. And then I couldn't yeah. pick up the glass anymore. That's wh when, I'm, when I'm working with people and they tell me, like, oh, my God, my favorite thing that you do is such and such. I'm like, please Stop. do not yeah. tell me because <laughs> I will never do it the same way That's again. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But, um, like, truly in this case, it's the only time I've ever been, like, as proud as I was of the right. work I was doing. So it might be the only time that I, that like reading the reviews, like seemed to not be such a bad thing. Well, no, I mean, I have <laughs> friends who are very healthy about it and can read them and it doesn't, it doesn't break their stride. It yeah. just, I, I, I have such a, <laughs> I have a, such a, a tenuous connection to my joy when it comes to acting uh -huh. that anything can knock me off my feed. Mm. So, uh, so it's very smart for me not to read them. That isn't true of my work as a writer, but as an as an actor, I I, I find just getting there and talking and listening and the, the stuff that gives me joy about it is so hard to get to if other if there's other noise in the way. Yeah. So anything I can do to remove that noise is yeah. great. As a writer, I don't know how to avoid reading them. Unfortunately, yeah. I but hope that I would hit a point where I do, but. Wouldn't it? I I will. I I don't know. But like, wouldn't it feel more personal? Like them. Oh, it's much worse. Yeah, <laughs> but you're not on stage, so it's not affecting my ability for output. Right. You, theoretically, your work on that particular That's project right. is over. I, I mean, I've been I've been really knocked around in the press. I mean, the submission was was loved by some and really not loved by some, and that has been true wherever it's been done. It's been done, you know, like dozens of times around the yeah. country, and it. I mean, I get a Google alert and I'm either, mm -hmm. I get one of two things happen. And I don't know, sometimes I don't even know the production's happening and a Google alert will come up and I'll, I'll either find out that I'm completely awesome or a terrible racist <laughs> and both <laughs> things can happen on the same day and I'm used to it, but it is, it is that one I don't feel as personally about, but the one I did in New York last year, I felt, mm -hmm. you know, I, I felt very personally, um, attacked is the wrong word, but very personally evaluated because yeah. Writing is, in my experience, so much more personal to me than I feel much more naked as a writer than I do as an actor, mm -hmm. which is probably why I feel like I'm probably better at it than I than I. It takes me harder, a harder road to get to my pride as an actor. And I get to it easier as a mm -hmm. writer, but that's probably because I really it is in, an incredibly naked act for me. So, yes, reading them is oh, it's terrible. And it's not, and it's not better if they're good too, because right. it, as a writer, because you're like, well, they, yes, that's great, but they didn't notice this thing, and oh no, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's tough. Yeah. This was not the main point of what you were saying, but you have productions and don't even know they're happening. <laughs> well, that's because submission was licensed by Samuel yeah. French. Um, I just, I don't have anything licensed, so I don't know how that process works. Largely, you know, but because uh, because it's a type of play that is done mostly by non-equity or colleges, non-equity yeah. theaters or colleges, sometimes I'm, and I don't pay that much attention to it anymore because I've seen it enough mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that I, so yes, sometimes I get surprised that, that a production is happening. Uh, Ken, my husband, is is much more much more on top of my productions than I am. And he'd be like, do you know that's happening in Tennessee this year? <laughs> it is? Oh, I guess I should pay attention. But nobody, uh, every once in a while a production will reach out to me, but they're just licensing a thing and doing yeah. it 
completely independently of me. So I don't know about world demographics, but does it play differently in the South than it does like in big? It seems to play about the same. It 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 um it 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 frustrates and pleases audiences in about the same in about the same proportions. I it, because it was the first thing of mine that was written that was produced, but almost the first thing of mine that was fully written as a full length play. I have such a I saw it at NYU last spring. I saw actually a really terrific production at NYU that I was kind of reticent to go to because I was like, well, what if it's terrible? Because I have seen some less great productions mm -hmm. of it, and I've seen some really great productions of it. And it was super exciting. It was in one of those black boxes at NYU. I was like five feet away from those four young actors, and they killed it. And I was like, well, I don't need to... S I Every time I see it, I think, well, I don't need to see that again. Mm -hmm. um, mostly because I know what it's going to do to an audience. So it's very nervous-making to mm -hmm. me that I know mm -hmm. that they're going to have a time for the next 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but also because now all I see, and this is true of all writing, but now all I see is I'm 10 plays in. I'm f 10 plays and four musicals in. I would like to rewrite it now. Mm. But I've moved on. I have other interests. It's not a, I already told that story, but I'm like, oh, I could really help that guy tell that story better now because <sighs> I have more tools in my toolbox uh -huh. yeah. than I had when I when I wrote it. And I, well, that's I mean, you, you the way that you talk about that show getting produced at MCC, like it sounds like very transformative for you. Well, because it was such a it does Do you know the story at all? Oh, I saw the show. I know, but do you know how it got found? No, I don't. Like it's a crazy I because because the the log line of that play was so kind of sexy and interesting, yeah. people asked to read it. So mm. when I would send out 10 pages and say this was about, people would ask for it, mm -hmm. which hadn't been my experience. Mm. But people would read it, but it landed on the desk of the literary manager there with a really positive review from one of his one of his readers. But I got an email on Tony night in 2010 from his name Stephen Willems I'm I mean he's he's the guy who found me I'm I'm not ashamed to say his name um, got an email from this guy I never I didn't know him saying hey I just read your this is the most important part of the email hey I just read your play again it was the word again that was made me sit up on the couch I was like Ken something weird is happening I just read your play again we'd like to do a reading of it so that we can hear it would you be opposed to that? I also have some notes. And I was like, well, yes, please. So they did a reading of it. Um, I did some rewrites. They did a reading of it. And then they said, hey, we're going to submit it for this, this award. It's brand new. It's never been awarded before. The goal of the award is to find a writer who hasn't been found yet. And it's a big pile of cash for the writer and a bigger pile of cash for the theater. And the theater then produces the play. Are you game? And I was like, Sure, but when I don't win that award, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're still interested in the play, but if you win, I said, yes, yes. But when I don't win that award, <laughs> what happens? And they said, let's talk about it. You know, it's gonna, you're going to have to take it off the market for like six months because they have to read through all the plays, but we can only submit one play. We'd like to submit this play, and they submitted that play. And that, that phone call when it had won, that was the transformative uh -huh. moment because it was the big ticket from the universe saying, okay, be careful what you ask for, but you can now try <laughs> to do this for a while. Yeah. Um, and and everything about that experience was fantastic and complicated uh -huh. because because one of the things I think that that foundation found with that award, because it's kind of morphed over the years, it's great in theory to find a writer who's never been found before, but I also entered the marketplace with no infrastructure. Mm -hmm. No literary managers knew me. Everybody was like, 
that's just an actor who, you know, won a prize. And I was like, no, 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 I, I'm serious about this. This is what I think, this is, this is what I think I have to offer. And it's taken some time, and I think that's gone away, but it took some time for people to realize that I wasn't just somebody who spun the wheel and got a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are people who would disagree with that statement, but, I, but not all of them are in the industry or certainly on the, on the literary manager side now. So it, 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 was a, it, sh- it never happens. Like It was a yeah. crazy Cinderella, like mm-hmm. that's once. You get that once yeah. in your life. Like It happened. It was in the Times agents called the next day i had meetings with with agents and 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 none of that happens yeah and i learned pretty quickly why because it it was great and then it was hard and Mm -hmm. some of those relationships fell apart pretty quickly because being the person of the moment doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be longevity in relationships Mm. and and I learned some really valuable lessons. You know, yeah. every every rose has a thing or two that's going to make you bleed a little bit. <laughs> and that's not terrible. But in the moment, it's a little like yeah. I'm going to get a Band-Aid. That's, that's, wow. But I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, in terms of your own sense of identity as an artist, like, it sounds like it, like, I mean, I get you're saying you always, like, felt like a writer deep down. But, like, yes. in terms of, I don't know, like, h- how did your, like, sense of identity change through this process? You know, it, getting permission from getting permission from the universe to do something is a is a is a really valuable way to build your confidence yeah. if you're lucky enough to get it and i've had it twice in my life i got accepted into the Yale school of drama which was a transformative moment in my life school was great but nothing was as great as the moment i got that letter mm-hmm. right because that letter was a little business-sized envelope that was the same size as the rejection i got the year before it's the only time in my life i almost fainted and i opened that envelope and I sat down on the ground and I was like oh I just hit a fork in the road this is so crazy I might not be terrible at this this thing I'd been doing for eight years professionally I was like oh and that same thing happened with this phone call I was like oh I I now don't feel ashamed to say hey for the next you know two months I'm sitting home and I'm writing another play because I got a little, just a little bit of encouragement that what I had to say might, might be of interest to someone and that's all you need is some one person. Yeah. So, yeah. I confidence guess, is helpful. But like, <laughs> and it fades. <laughs> I feel like I'm just like I'm like digging my finger in deeper in this question. Yes. But like, up until that point, you had been working professionally as an actor. Yes. Like so, I guess I'm curious like about the balance there, the in balance between like your identity as an actor now you're like burgeoning identity as a writer like yeah within yourself like did you have to like grapple with anything no because i've had a pretty lucky and successful career as an actor yeah I've, I've, it's a it's a pretty widely varied resume and people seek me out to to do that but i've always felt a little bit and i i mean i've said this to people privately i've never really said it publicly because i don't want to stop acting i really don't but i've always felt like a real journeyman like a real like middle of the pack actor because I have friends who are extraordinarily gifted and I have people in my life who say that about me as an actor they've said it to my face I just don't believe them because that's not how I feel about what I have to contribute as an actor it doesn't mean that other people's experience isn't different than mine but I'm I it's not that I'm unconfident about it I just sometimes I can sit in any audition and look at the seven other guys there and think how they're all, they would all be so much more amazing than me. And I don't even say it with sadness. I'd be like, wow, God, he'd be, he'd be so great. 
I hope he gets it. He'd be so great. I don't feel that way as a as a writer, uh-huh. and I haven't from the minute I started doing it because cool. I. I feel that that I'm answering the question about identity. Like there isn't a balancing act for me because when I sit down to write every time I feel like, well, whether it is for somebody or not, I do feel that my perspective is special because because it's my perspective and I understand what I'm trying to do. That doesn't mean that others will understand it. It doesn't even mean that others will cotton to it. But it but it I guess it's different than confidence. It, it is about identity. Like I I didn't f- I've never really felt that way as an actor, even when I'm having great success. I feel that way every time I sit down to write. I mean, even on the bad days. I mean, you know, like you sit down and you're pounding your head against the table and thinking, well, this is terrible. But, I, but that isn't actually the adjective that I ever think. I just think, well, I, well I, haven't, I haven't found it yet today because I know that I can. I feel that I can. So, cool. <laughs> Can I go back to something yes. you mentioned? And this other little footnote that you mentioned in passing, but I'm curious about it. Oh, you were no. talking about, I've seen some great productions of this mission, and yes. I've seen some terrible ones. Yes. How, something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is sort of how to come to terms with once you put something out into the world, people will take it and do what they will with it, and how to really be at peace with that and stop thinking about it as like this show is a representation of who I am and if people don't do it the way I've conceived it oh, see, they're misrepresenting I, that, me and that isn't how I feel about w- what I write I, 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 I'm pretty sure about the things that I think are uh, have to be about any of the pieces like there are, like it ha- in, um, like I had some, some trouble early on with the submissions people started to put an intermission in it mm. and I thought that I had been very clear that it can't have one mm-hmm. and then I had to go into the licensing agreement and make sure it said you cannot put an intermission in this play. And it was a valuable lesson because I would get reviews that would say, in Act 2, and I'd be like, Act 2. <laughs> and what would invariably happen is they would say, the momentum seems to stop, and in Act 2, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, that's right, because <laughs> there isn't an act break for a reason. Yeah. If, I, if I was structuring two acts, it would have had a climax <laughs> in the middle, but it doesn't. It's driving towards a thing. So that kind of thing is, is solid for me. But I am a big fan, and this may be because I started as an actor, a very big fan of interpretation. It's the thing that I find most moving. And I'm a pretty, well, I mean, you'd have to ask my directors. They would probably disagree with this. (laughs) Uh, But I think compared to other writers, I'm a pretty quiet guy in the room because I I am so moved by what what an actor will bring to the party. Um, And it's always so much better than what I would have thought of either as an actor or a writer, and I'm always so touched by it. Um, I guess I'm not even asking necessarily about like interpretive choices as much as when people take on the material and it's like a little bit beyond them. Right, but but that's also that's also an interpretive act. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I have seen... I guess it's not fair for me to say I've seen some terrible productions. I have seen some productions where I thought that the material... Um, where they were boxing in a different weight class, the <laughs> material wanted them to box. But I was... But as much as it made me feel... Um, unsettled, all of the unsettled I would feel would be about, well, I let them down here. Mm -hmm. Because the thing that I, the thing that obviously I wasn't clear enough to help them, they're doing their best, they're great, but I haven't helped them. That's when I say, like, I would rewrite it. So coming to be at peace with other people doing it has been, it, it wasn't a really, like, hard, it wasn't a long journey for me. Um, I'm very touched when people do it. My yes. my lack of desire 
to see it over and over again has more to do without with me not wanting to confront what I find are shortcomings and what I have done. Mm -hmm. I'm always impressed, even if I feel like the material is 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 tough for them. Um, I'm always impressed with what they bring to the party. Um, I mean, look, there there are also many cases of Stephen Adler Gurgis and David Mamet, and you know, people will do stuff to your art, and as a writer, it gets out there, and they're going to do what they're going to do. And you do have to, I think you have to be smart enough to to notice when they're really going at intent. Mm -hmm. But as long as they're just trying to do the thing, yeah. I, I, I don't feel, and I think other writers feel differently about this, I don't feel um, challenged by that or saddened by that. Um, I just don't know that I always want to see it. You don't have this feeling <laughs> that, and I did, I do want to go on the record saying that like I too am like, deeply touched and humbled and honored when anyone wants to oh, do a thing of mine yes but like i wasn't suggesting that you weren't <laughs> but it was yeah you said it so beautifully i was like me too that thing oh yeah <laughs> but, yeah but you don't get the feeling that someone will maybe see that and nothing else of yours ever again and just have this impression that like this two hours is what you're all about i mean maybe but they're matter. but they're going to anyway yeah. you know i mean that's that was the hardest slash easiest thing for me to get used to particularly because i hit the scene with a play that actually that that pushed some people mm -hmm. um an imperfect piece of writing that really unsettled some people i had to get i had to get on the right side right away with the fact that people are going to have opinions about me and i remember having a conversation with with um well, with, with jonathan groff in the during rehearsals there was a thing in the text and he said this seems to be very particularly about a person and here's the person I think it's about. And I said, it's not about the person you think it's about. It's about something else interpreted through my lens. I'm not going to say what it's about, but it's not about the thing you think it's about. Because he was saying, should we let them know so they don't feel bad? And I said, I have to tell you, with this piece of writing, people are going to be mad. But you don't need to worry because they're going to be mad at me. <laughs> they're not going to be mad at you. And that that's... I mean, the, that's what I was getting to. Like, the thing I got to be at peace with, which I got used to right away, is they're always going to blame the writer. If it's great, mm -hmm. they're going to give other people the credit, usually. <laughs> but if it's troublesome, they're always going to go at the writer, particularly with new work, particularly in, particularly in New York. But that's been my experience pretty much nationwide with new work. If they know that it's a play that wasn't on Broadway or hasn't, you know is still considered new work mm -hmm. the reviews are still in phoenix in wherever largely about me yeah. and i i have for the most part thick skin about that every once in a while something will get under my skin about it i actually took to facebook like six months ago because there was a production in phoenix and the critic said something that i thought was particularly bad sportsmanship mm. he said something like um he didn't like the play, which is fine. That's totally his prerogative. He can not like the play. But he said something like, this play won several prestigious awards in New York City. One can only hope the competition wasn't that stiff that year. Oh boy. <laughs> and I thought that was a particularly mean thing to say. And I tried to find an eloquent way to talk about it. Not to him, because I didn't want to, you know, like give him the power to write to him. But I did write on Facebook about it reminded me. I used it as a reminder for myself when I go to see something, remember everybody's trying to make something great every yeah. time so when you see the people after even if it was terrible because sometimes it's terrible they're trying to make something awesome and we particularly as people in the same industry should always always lead with graciousness and acceptance for what people are trying to put out there 
And I think I'm I think I'm generally kind of pretty good at that. I think you're very good at that. But it was a great reminder to always try to be that guy um, because I've had the experience. I've had the experience recently of doing a, uh, a of doing something and the writer comes to visit and the writer is um, the writer is experiencing many of the things that we're talking about. Um, it, like seeing the play and not being part of the process and that being that is a very weird experience but then not being gracious enough or at all to the cast and what it costs to be kind is so little and what it and I think what it takes to withhold your kindness is actually an effort I think you have to choose to withhold kindness and I try to um, never put out that effort I try to always lead with hey I think you're awesome you're fantastic you're so great um, but that's also because I've I've learned through experience when it hasn't come my way to try to reinforce that for myself when I and lead by example and like offer that into the universe and as a way to hope that it pays forward and other people recognize that and they do the same thing because you can be honest and kind all in the same breath. But you but you have to choose to do that. Sam's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That sounds <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm on board. I'm on board for that. Have you ever had that experience, Sam, as an actor of being like this? I'm worried that this audience is not going to like me on this material. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) to bring it back to (laughs) that review I was talking about earlier, like that. The the show was what it was. um, And it was sort of it sort of had two facets to it. Like it was. um, This is the Fringe show. The Fringe show Mm -hmm. I was in. It was a. A futuristic burlesque musical because of course it was <laughs> yeah so there were actually like a number of like burlesque numbers in the show performed by the cast i was not in any of the burlesque moments um missed opportunity but my character <laughs> what did you say missed opportunity oh n- sure my character <laughs> was sort of like the person um in the thrust of the story of the show who you sort of go on the journey with and so as far as I was concerned, it was very important for the audience to be on my ride with me. But <laughs> at one performance, it, it, at the Fringe, you know, they have performances at all random times. So one of our performances started at like 10.30 p.m. or something. Of course. So it was a very um, raucous, drunk audience mm-hmm. who were, um, I don't know if they came because they wanted to see burlesque, but what ended up happening was they were like all in in the burlesque numbers and sort of like, waiting for the book scenes to end so that they could see more burlesque (laughs) and i'm pretty sure the the reviewer the review that i mentioned earlier came to that performance right and i don't remember the specifics of what they said but it was something like you know you don't really care about this person about my character and i was sort of like right because the audience you saw it with did (laughs) did not care and something about the energy in that room um made it made the the made the um made the show feel very different um i'm not answering your question am i but it's an mm-hmm. interesting you are. <laughs> but yeah you're, you're talking about being liked and sort of being able to feel the energy in the room of if they're with yeah, you yeah yeah and in that yeah and i i tend to play characters that are supposed to be likable that the yeah. audience is supposed to root for and so for me like asking me specifically like yes i'm very in tune to that um, I guess that's I true. I don't know I if don't it's true I... of all actors. I don't know if it's true of all types of roles that they have to worry so much about that. Right. Yeah, I, I think, I th- yeah. 
And I think it's also something that, because I was that guy early in my career, uh-huh. um, and I just stopped worrying about it as much, uh-huh. about being 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 that, yeah, being the likable guy, and just it just stopped it stopped occurring to me in the same way. But that came with with age, uh-huh. not even experience, just with age. Like I hit a certain age where I cared less what other people thought, and it affected my acting in a very positive way. Uh-huh. Um, because I was, I, I, it just, I, I just didn't need their approval in the same way. Um, and felt like my job was to offer them the experience that I had decided with the director and the rest of the cast to offer them. And if they liked it, they liked it. And if they didn't, they didn't. Um, but I, but for many, many years I felt like that. Yeah. I'm pointing at Sam. You, can, you don't you don't know it because we've got microphones in front of us, but I'm pointing at Sam. He is correct. He is pointing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you. Like, do you feel like it do you feel like <laughs> I mean, it's hard to it's hard to separate, but like with age, you also like were like rising in your amount of success, That's right? That's true. Yes. So like <laughs> Do you feel like that also had a part of like not caring anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, maybe. I mean, I've always kind of, <laughs> I've always kind of been the guy who auditions and, and for the most part, like I, I always say, I pick one or two a year that I really, I mean, I care about all of them, but they don't get to me. Uh-huh. I say that it isn't completely true, <laughs> but, um, but I think that that got easier to have be true the older I got. I also just got um, freer about saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, to what I would want to audition for, mm-hmm. but that has less to do. Th- that actually has more to do with my sensitivity than less. Um, I- I'll say no to an audition now because I. I mean, I've said it point blank to to my representation. Um, I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right guy, and they're mm-hmm. not going to pick me. And they'll and she'll say, "Well, why don't you give it a shot?" And I'll say, "Because it'll make me feel bad, and I don't need to feel mm-hmm. bad because." to go out of town for seven weeks and and everything that that's going to take i would probably say yes to the job but to go in and have that person that i know like make me feel that i'm not worthy is going to make me feel bad when i'm not going to get the job anyway Mm -hmm. so let somebody else although do you question your reading of that because weren't you just saying earlier tonight like oh i talked to this director and i said i'm not right but she thought i was and then you came and did it and it was well i mean it was a it's a director who has directed a play of mine as a writer Mm -hmm. and we've been friends for 20 years so i actually uh contacted her about the play when i saw it was on their season not knowing the play and i said is there something in this play for me and she said why don't you read it and find out are you available and i said i am but i don't i didn't see the play in new york and i read the play and I asked to audition for a guy who's in like three scenes because mm-hmm. I thought, well, I can go out of town and I can write every day and move some furniture. And, <laughs> and instead, she said, why don't you come and audition for the guy who never leaves the stage? And I said, <laughs> sure. But what I really want is this other part. And she said, yeah, I know. Why don't you come in for this for this guy? And that's why I had skewed my reading of it to one guy. Mm. And she said, no, no, I think you should look over here. And I hadn't really completely looked at this, I mean, I had looked at it to prepare it, but I hadn't looked at it as a possibility until the job came my way. And then I was like, well, now I have to read the play again to start to understand why you see that huh. so that I can try to meet that. And then and then had one of, I mean, one of the best experiences I've had in my career because because I had entered the entire process from the beginning not not thinking I was the guy for the job and really had a such an experience 
extraordinarily reawakening time as an actor to be like, oh, yes, to go back to how we started this whole conversation. I do have something special to offer, maybe not every time, but as an actor, there there is a reason people sometimes gravitate towards what I have to offer. And I agree with them occasionally. <laughs> and I have to remember that because I do think of myself primarily as a writer identity wise. Uh-huh. Um, because that's what I do every day. Because it's very hard to be an actor every day. Indeed. <laughs> because you because to do something every day, I used to, when I was a young actor, or when I would give advice to people in college, I'd say, do something every day to remind yourself you're an actor. That sounds like really good advice, but it's so hard. Yeah. Because at some point on like some random Wednesday, what can you do to remind yourself that you're an actor? You could go to see a movie and pretend you're in it. Like there's just not that much you can do. But writer, every day you can sit down and write something. Yeah. You know, every yeah. day you can write a song or, or or work on a melody or or, you know, try to crack a rhyme that you've never cracked or whatever. But actor is is harder and I have so much more respect for pe- especially people uh, my age who have that drive every day. It's not that I don't have the drive. I just have the drive so strongly somewhere else it's mm-hmm. easier to focus it in that area because there are practical yeah. applications for that area every day. Yeah. Like how do you, what do you what that's do you do so, every day? Well, I mean th- that's so interesting because it is it's true that like you you can't really like act by yourself. Right. Right? So like in order to do something every day you have to be involved with other people which like if no one's knocking on your door sometimes feels very very far away right but i'm like i don't know the, the <laughs> or the things you do because you or you interact with the industry where you're like sending out right you're just, you know you're just inquiries sort of like or sending out or, messages in a bottle that doesn't feel like it's your could, craft yeah i was gonna say a lot of days that's the only thing i do is i send out emails about trying to be right <laughs> in this business yeah, but i'm yeah, really Trump. interested like you, like hearing you say like so strongly this sense like you feel like you're a writer and like i feel like i know a lot of actors who it's not shame, but there's sort of like when they say like, oh, yeah, I'm an actor. There's sort of like, um, uh, well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like there's sort of like, oh, it's like a lack of ownership. Like they there are a lot of actors who like say that and sort of like a- and if other people sort of question it, it really gets under their skin. And I wonder if that's part of it is like you're saying, like, I'm a writer because I write every day. And with an actor like w- when you do have a gig, like you're like, yes, I'm an actor. And when you don't, you're like, I'm an actor. Right. But also <laughs> also the hard the hard thing, the difference between the two of them is your job as an actor is to try to get work as an actor. Right. More so than actually doing your job, yeah. which is actually acting. Yeah. So your actual career is interacting with the industry to get people to bring you into that room so you can be with other people. Yeah. Whereas a writer, eventually you do have to write those emails. <laughs> but but the way you interact with your art is every day mm-hmm. to sit down and do it, which is an isolated one-on-one or one-on-two kind of experience. Yeah. So you can you have some control over whether or not you do that every day. Yeah. Whereas as an actor, you have so little control. Yeah. And and the thing that I often say to young actors when I when I'm asked to talk to like colleges, is a lot of actors will come in here and tell you. It gets easier, and I'm going to tell you my experience, which is it gets harder. And I don't think that's a negative thing to hear. It's a valuable thing to know. But my experience is it gets more painful and harder. It makes me more alive to my art when I get to practice it. I'm much more vulnerable on stage than I used to be as an actor. 
but that's because I've worn all my skin away through through the years of pursuing it. I don't think that's negative. It sounds negative. I don't think it is, but it is realistic. Like yeah. it is it is something that if somebody had said to me early on, it wouldn't have stopped me from doing it, but I wouldn't uh, my rose-colored glasses would have had a slightly different tint than they than they probably had. And it's not bad to go in with with high hopes and high aspirations that you're always always going to be super happy, but that's n- that's not true of any profession. Right. Right? Yeah. I don't think <laughs> may, may, no, I can't think of one. Yeah. It's interesting so. when you're talking about like when you sort of feel like your thing, because I'm thinking like, obviously, I guess I do. I feel like a writer when I'm writing. That makes sense. But when I'm in a rehearsal room, I feel like such a special writer, oh, <laughs> even though I'm not true. really doing anything anymore. I mean, you sort of are. You're like thinking about your show and changes. Right. But that feels so affirming. It does. But it but it's. But all of the other stuff is what leads to that, too. You know, like every day by yourself is one step closer to getting in one of those rooms with, you know, somebody amazing like Sam in there making your stuff so much better than you ever thought it could be. And and it's so it becomes so selfless. It's writing is so interesting because it starts as a I feel like a kind of a selfish act that becomes Mm -hmm. selfless. Is acting the same? Um. It starts as a selfish act. Yeah, I think so. I actually, guess so. Yeah, of. I guess that's true. Maybe that's true of all art, right? Like it's well, something. I don't know. I there's um there's this interview with Kristen Wiig, where she says like I think there are two kind of actors. There's the actors who are like look at me, look at me, and the actors who are like don't look at me, look at this character who are like trying to hide. And so I don't. Well, I guess that's still selfish too, because they're they're like hiding. They're like, I don't want to be looked at, so let me hide, and that's a selfish desire. Oh, I guess. But so, then, yeah. once you're actually in the process of like creating a character, like bringing a show together, telling a story, you are the a good actor is like serving the story and not serving themselves. Right. So yeah, it does that become selfless. Yeah, there's that sort of synergy selfless. of it all that kicks in. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um. Can we shift gears a little bit? Yes. Um, I'm kind of curious. I was thinking about, so I've seen two of your shows and gotten to be involved in development of another one. Yes. And like stylistically, I think they're all so different. Yeah. Like, do you, do you, th- like, do you think about that? Like your style as a writer? Like, do you I care don't. about that? I, 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 I think one of the things that separates me from some other writers makes it very hard to represent me mm-hmm. as a writer. I, 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 f- I sometimes feel bad for my agent because because I think my plays are recognizable. I think my writing is recognizable because, because of the way I use language. I have a very particular way that I use language because it's the way I hear the world. But they are, v- my plays are wildly different from each other. Yeah. And they're wildly so different from the musicals. And the musicals are kind of wildly different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's mostly because my approach is always content first. Yeah. You know, like this story about this gravedigger in some mythical time is very different from for 29-year-olds who are trying to break into the into show business. I I don't sit down trying to figure out what the style is. I the only thing that gets me to the keyboard is a question that I have about us. Yeah. As humans like uh, well wh- that's you know that's the one thing that i was i was thinking like what unites your plays that i'm familiar with and i was thinking like the the unifying thing is like a like very deep incisiveness about like 
the characters involved. Yeah, I, w I only sit down to write if there's a question I can't figure out. I'm kind of in between things right now, it's, and it's just because I have so many questions right now, I don't know which one to concentrate on, because <laughs> I'm going to spend the next six to eight months like trying to answer or keep re-asking that question for yeah. myself. Can you share some of your questions? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I have a couple of things. I, I don't know what to start next. I mean, I'm certainly, like all of us, uh, pretty disturbed by what's happening disturbed slash interested in some of the bigger co things that are happening in our society right now. But some of those feel like I bet everybody's trying to write those things. Uh -huh. So I don't mm. know what to, it, I have like too many ideas right now mm -hmm. and no way to focus them. Mm. You know, like I'm not the, I, I would love to write something about um, some aspect of the me too movement. I have some ideas, but to be honest, I'm pretty aware that nobody really cares what I want to find out about that right now <laughs> for reasons that are very good. Yeah. So that seems like energy not well spent to me unless I come up with some some way to frame that question that is very, very individual as an approach. Yeah. You know, so I don't I, I don't know. But my questions are usually so much more general than that, like uh, uh, Gravedigger's Lullaby, which is a play that Sam saw was uh, was was about the wealth gap. I wanted to write about the wealth gap in, in, in America, but in the world. And the play grew out of a question about what happens if a poor man and a rich man sat next to each other. What would they say to each other? Um, but like right now, there are just so many questions. We're all so full of questions right now that I kind of don't know what to ask. Wow. Or we're all asking so many questions on a daily basis right now that I feel... It hasn't paralyzed me. It doesn't make me not want to write. I just can't figure out which one to focus on. So interesting. I mean, what do you want to focus on right now? Oh, man. I mean, you I and like Gordon are so interesting because you have such a, you have such, you guys seem to have such laser attraction to very, very, like Sam was saying about my work, very, very different ideas. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, actually. We're, Gordon and I are re revamping our collaborator website right now. And, he just had a sentence. It, we were like re redoing our bio, and he had a sentence that was like, "We tell women's stories, queer people's stories, and coming of age stories at a human scale." And I suddenly felt so uncomfortable, and I was like, "Can we take that sentence out?" Which oh. I think we're going to. Yeah. Because I was like, "Did it feel too limiting to you, or?" It, it almost it made me feel sort of like underqualified, even though that I recognize it. Like a lot of the stories we tell are clearly about women, or about queerness, or certainly about coming of age. It felt so lofty in a way, like, know. oh, I'm Julia. I write queer people stories. You know, just come to me. I'm the expert. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I don't know. That, yeah, that, one, that wasn't what I thought your response would be at all. I thought you would just think that it, that it seemed limiting. Huh. Like, it, it, that's, that's three very specific categories. Right, right. And, and my, my experience of what you guys write, it, didn't you just say in one of the last podcasts there might be six dogs in one of the yes, next things you're yes. writing? <laughs> so, I mean... That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy and amazing. It's crazing. <laughs> yeah, it's nice also being the composer because, I mean, Gordon really does the heavy lifting, almost the entirety of the lifting in terms of narrative. And, yeah, focusing yeah. in on what we're writing about. And I think we certainly have a lot of common interests. And I wouldn't be writing any of these things if the things that he came up with didn't fascinate me and like speak to a deep emotional level that I'm interested in. Well, but. yeah, you guys must propose things to each other all the time where one of you is like, man, not that. Or when you're getting ready to start something new, do you discard ideas? It's more like I feel like we have this miasma of like 15 things we've Such talked about writing word. about. I know. 
I know it's one of my favorites. <laughs> and when we're looking to new start a new thing, you know, we'll look through all the ideas we've talked about and be like, which of these is sort of speaking to us right now? Right. But yeah. Hmm. Do you have a? Do you have a? When you're approaching work, like if you're sitting down and thinking what what you'd like to do next, or you just want the next job, whatever it is, or I mean, like I'm at a place in my career where it's it's very hard to turn down I know. anything. Um, but I'm but have you ever have st- has stuff come in that you've turned down? I've never turned down a production, of course. But I've but like an audition. I, I mean, I've There's turned not a down. Wrong answer. I've I'm just turned curious. down. I've turned down auditions for things that weren't worth auditioning for. Right. Um, but you've never uh, turned down something because you were like, I, I'm not the guy or right. that's not interesting to me. I've or definitely gotten auditions where I'm like, I don't think I'm the guy. Right. But I haven't gotten to the point where I'm okay with um, not even going in. Right. Because if they think I'm the guy, maybe I am the guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, totally. Um, because of where I am in my career, like, I don't... <laughs> They always tell you, like, don't make that decision for them. Like, let them make the decision. No, no, I agree with that advice. I Um, just don't always take it so well. (laughs) And then the other thing they also always tell you is, like, the people behind the table aren't just casting that one project. They, If there's, you know, if if there's a casting director or a writer who, like, for example, how I met Gordon and Julia is I I remember that story. their other pieces. Yeah. Um, So there's always that in the back of my mind. Um, And I'm not, like... I'm not so busy that like an audition is a waste of my time because I have other things to do. You will be. Well, who knows? I might I'm be. Just saying. Um, but uh, what was the question? Turning down. Oh you yeah. Know, like um, or like or like honing in on like what I want. Oh, yeah, do. honing in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you vision? Do you vision board? Like, do, I mean, is that a? Do you really like sit and think about? Hey, I, I mean, would really like, like X to happen next. I don't know if I think specifically about like characters but i because i was never one to answer the dream role question i was like i don't know if my dream role is the next thing that they pay me to do (laughs) right well (laughs) that and like i don't like i always i'm i do i'm like more most attracted to new work so like i don't know what yeah that's like when we did when we went out to san diego and did loneliest girl like i was in the rare position of like originating a dream role right because i had been a part of the development for so long that i like knew it was a dream role for four years before I yeah. got to play. And you got to do it, which <laughs> yeah, is, which is, which amazing. we all know is like, you know, Rare. sometimes not always the way it goes. Yeah. And such a testament this to you guys, but also such a way this went. Oh, it I should. Th- it should. That's right. I think the thing I'm thinking about most is like being a part of projects that are telling a story that I think is important is a gross word, but like, worth telling well that's i guess what i'm asking like yeah. if you got uh, asked to do a reading of a new piece do you ask to read them before you say yes sometimes oh yeah and if it was something that you don't respond to would you say i'm, I'm busy that day or i have done yeah. that in the past this is actually readings. an industry thing i don't know how to handle because i've sometimes had this doesn't happen as much anymore because now i'm pretty set and like you know gordon and i are doing our thing but it used to be if you'd get an email from someone being like hey do you want to do something together? I can send you some stuff. And you'll be like, if you say 
know before reading it, then you're not insulting their work because you're just like, you know, so sorry, not a good time. But if you request to read it and then say no, then I feel like really judgy. Mm. Yeah, but I feel like uh, on the other side of that is um, I don't want someone in the room who mm. isn't responding to it. Totally. Yeah. You know, and it and and I'm. It goes back to our earlier topic of like dealing with people not liking your stuff. I, I'll be the first to send a piece to an actor and say, hey, if you're available to do this thing, but you should take a look at it if you want. And if it's not for you, that is totally cool. Yeah. yeah. I'll fi- I'll, I, it's not the last time I'll bother you. This one might not be for you yeah. to kind of take that. That's true. It's sort that of pressure very off of them. self-aggrandizing to think that anyone no, not cares at all. that much what my reaction is going to be. <laughs> no, but of course they do. I'm saying, I mean, like, I might care what their reaction is, <laughs> but I try to take that off of them so that they have the freedom yeah. to say yeah. no. Just knowing from the other side of it sometimes, I do like to take a look at it. I mean, I've said yes to things even recently that, you know, maybe I didn't respond to as strongly because of who was in the room or right. who I wanted to be with or yeah. I didn't have anything, you know. Or sometimes I feel like I even had the thing of I read something and I don't quite, I don't quite get it at first, but then it clicks in and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, and sometimes you don't know until you've heard it out loud, too, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Reading things is hard. It is. <laughs> it is, because you can't, sometimes you can't tell. Even as someone who's trying to be a writer of things, reading things oh is hard. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Yeah. But I think, I th- yeah, I think saying no to things like that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to me to hear you say, like, once you've seen it, then it feels like you're critiquing them if you say no. Because I think, I think uh, we talk about community so much <laughs> on this podcast, but yeah. I think, like, creating the artistic community, the people that, that do get your work is so important. And, like, not wasting your time mm-hmm. and not wasting their time if you're not the person who gets their work. Well, but there's a difference also from getting that that request from somebody you know and somebody you right. don't too. Mm-hmm. Truly, because if it's somebody you if it's somebody I don't know, I will ask to read it often just so I can get a sense of what it is. Yeah. And and if it if they found me out of the blue, then I don't feel bad about saying if it's true, you know, like oh oh I'm super busy that day because I didn't respond to it because right. then I'm not the guy who should be there. It should right. be somebody who really responds to it. Right. Yeah. Um, or someone who would be very excited to be working on that. But yeah. if it is somebody that I already know, I'd probably be much more apt if I didn't understand it when I read it to get into that room. Right. Totally. Because I do. I've had that experience many times where I read it and I've been like, oh, I don't know what that is. And then you get in there and you hear it out loud. Oh, because if it's someone, you know, and trust, there's sort of a, a sense of like, I'm not seeing it. But if they're seeing it, I'm more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. Right. Yeah. That's all, Rob. <laughs> 